If you're not already a subscriber to the London Review of Books, now is the perfect time to try. Sign up for just £5 a month and treat yourself to some of the world's best writing from Europe's leading magazine of culture and ideas. Subscribe now while you're listening to this podcast at lrb.me forward slash now. That's lrb.me forward slash now. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the um, third event at the London Review Bookshop's World Festival of Literature. We're delighted to welcome Elias Khoury. Um, Elias is known throughout the Arab-speaking world as a literary critic and a journalist and has uh, made a long career out of being an editor, most recently at Al-Nahar in Beirut, the cultural supplement of that paper. Um, but he's probably best known as a novelist um, there and here, uh, having written roughly 10 novels, sorry for the imprecision. Um, there's um, Yalo, uh, which I think came out in 2008 here. Um, White Masks, which, which was originally published, I think, in Beirut in um, 1981, uh, which has just been translated and we have here, I believe, I hope. Um, and um, Gate of the Sun, which is his epic novel of the exile of Palestinians, um, translated by um, Humphrey Davis. Um, I couldn't help reading a couple of days ago that if you were asked who you'd like to sit next to at dinner, you said Albert Camus. Uh, you read L'Etranger at 14 and have read it hundreds of times since in various languages. Um, most of you will know here that Albert Camus um, is Algerian and was a goalkeeper for the University of Algiers. And tonight, spooky coincidence, <laughs> Algeria is playing a team in the World Cup whose goalkeeper, I think, has just been laid off. Um, we, we, we'd also like to welcome very much um, Jeremy Harding, um, a contributing editor of the LRB and a renowned journalist in his own right, and um, who has made um, a great study of, of Elias's work. So thank you very much both for coming tonight. Thank you. Good evening. I, I'm so delighted to have Elias here. He was due to, to come in July 2009, but for one reason or another was unable to make it. I think there were visa problems. Um, but Elias had received me in... Uh, 2006, four years ago in, in, in Beirut, and uh, I wrote to him to say, I've just read uh, a novel that's uh, made a huge difference to my way of seeing things, and I'd like to come to talk to you. You know, are you in any sense uh, available for a visit? He said, yeah, I am, and uh, um, I'll give you as much time as I've got, and uh, uh, the hospitality and the intellectual hospitality and the time that was actually given over to sort of helping me figure out what was happening uh, um, in this extremely complicated cu country which was at the time being invaded by Israel um, was absolutely marvellous. Um, Elias, as you know, is a journalist. He's a teacher. Uh, he's teaching at New York University. 
he's an editor. Uh, he began his editing career back in the early 70s uh, when he was coming back from Jordan to Beirut and had by that time become extremely involved in the Palestinian struggle. He'd visited a refugee camp in Jordan. He'd become subsequently involved in, in the movement. He became a member of Fatah, I think I'm right in saying, uh, and went on to uh, edit a journal called Palestinian Affairs. Um, he's also uh, a very good guide indeed to the Christian tradition of the Middle East, and you won't go far in one of Elias's novels without coming across a saint or an Old Testament prophet. Um, um, and um, he is a, a man of, uh, a man of um, many attributes. <coughs> I just want to kind of uh, talk a little and help set this up by saying that uh, on his return to, 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 to Beirut in the 70s, uh, two things were beginning to evolve historically, as I see it, Elias. The first thing was that uh, the Palestinians were becoming an enormous presence in Lebanon because they'd had to leave Jordan in, in 1970 under very brutal circumstances. The second thing was that Lebanon was shaping for its third civil war in something like 140 years. Um, and I, it's my view, reading the novels, that the, the civil war is the medium for these novels. Um, it's also, in a strange way, a protagonist... Uh, and so it's moving back and forth, being asked to do two different things, one to serve as a kind of habitat, at another moment actually to become a kind of force uh, in, in the fiction. And the second thing, of course, that was happening was that the Palestinians were beginning to take shape, um, not as a ghostly presence in the country at all. It was quite palpable, but in Elias's work, I think they, they are a ghostly presence until at last they take shape in this extraordinary novel in 1998, Bab al-Sham's Gate of the Sun. So these are the two great elements that are d determine the reading of the novel for uh, an English reader. That's how they are for me, in any case. Um, yes, one, one thing I wanted to start by asking you was, was um, why it is that your writing, while dealing with these quite difficult and epic subjects, is so extraordinarily playful. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of writing and telling uh, that seems to me to be light, uh, to cut the ground from under its feet, um, uh, to, to, to encourage the writer and the reader simply not to stop. In other words, a moment finishes and immediately something else is taken up. It's as if you had to go on and on and on telling the story. What is that about? <coughs> okay, uh, good evening. Uh, first, I'm very happy to be here and uh, thank you for having me in this uh, very interesting uh, conference. Uh, 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 and uh, first, uh, first, it's the most difficult thing, which is now becoming a habit in the whole world, is to ask writers to speak about themselves. And it's very difficult because what we know to do is to speak about others. And uh, and uh, I come from uh, from a personal uh, tradition. I don't like autobiographies and I don't like autofictions. Of course, these are very important uh, literary fields, but I don't feel uh, that I fit in them because I don't feel that I have a story uh, worth telling. So I search uh, to hear the stories of others and, uh, and, uh, and to work through others. And, and then you are asked to speak about yourself, uh, 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 which I think, I think the major thing about, about literature is 
good literature make us forget the writer yeah. and don't remember him and remember the uh, the characters of his novel if he's a good writer if he's a, if he's a bad writer we have to stick upon him and uh, and uh, to save the thing i mean just to save a bad book you speak about its writer uh, uh, whereas when you have <laughs> when you have a good book you don't need even to mention you have to ra- the writer and 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 once uh, once i wrote a long article saying that the writer is only a signature which is a meaningless signature in a book now, so with this perspective, I will try to answer your questions. Yes. So I will answer mainly as a reader and not mm. as a writer, because I don't know how writers answer. Mm. And, and, uh, and normally writers uh, are liars. Uh, this is part of their job. So in order not to lie a lot, of course I will lie a little bit, like all other writers, I will try to, to reply as, as a reader. And in the sense you are of your question is, is very, very profound because it's, it's the whole thing. I mean, it's the whole sty- stylistic, what we can call stylistic approach, which you will find in these novels you mentioned. That is, that is uh, and it comes from, from actually two, two major traditions. The first one is, is the tradition of uh, the 1001 Nights, which is a marvelous book because when you read the nights, the first time I read the nights, I felt that I was re- I was reading something I knew, because you you never know when you read the the the, the nights because this, all the stories of the nights are part of at, at least for 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 the part of the world from where I come are parts of our daily life. So you read a book while reading, you you have this feeling that you are instead of reading rereading. And, and, and normally a good book is a book that you read more than once. Uh, uh, so you have this feeling that you are rereading, and this tradition of the nights is a tradition related to <coughs> not only storytelling, techniques or ways of storytelling, but to the concept of a story, because the story plays the role as a mirror of another story. So in the nights, stories mirrors mirror each other's. So every story actually needs another story, is a metaphor of another story, and this other story will be a metaphor of a third story, and so you have a, 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 a complexity of mirrors, a complexity of, of parallel mirrors, where the, the real will become real, and the irreal will become real. This is the first tradition which, which has its input upon the ways, not only I write, the way I read books. This is why uh, I, uh, when I was asked about, about uh, the writer whom I want to sit uh, near in a dinner, I said, come here, because I read the book uh, several times. And, and, and each time I ask myself, why, why this Marceau killed the Algerian? And I wanted to sit near, near Camus to ask him why. Because uh, <laughs> uh, the sun is not convincing. If, if the sun is a reason to kill, then in, in, in Beirut, there is a lot of sun, so <laughs> I will not stop killing people. So <coughs> Now, uh, uh, the other tradition is the oral tradition. And I think uh, 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 orality must be part of the written. And orality in the sense that telling a story is not a line, a linear mechanism. When, we, when, when you ask me, now, I, tomorrow I'll, I'll go to Beirut, and my wife will ask me, 
what happened in the in the uh, uh, London Review of Books uh, uh, discussion, and I began t- telling her stories, and then I would jump from one story to another. You cannot speak in a, in a, in a, in a rational way except if you are uh, giving a lecture in the university, or if you are stupid. Uh, 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 uh. So I think this other tradition, which is how things emerge and how thing, things mingle together and how things open and then close, how stories opens, open and then they will close and then they will reopen, how characters appear and then they disappear mm. to appear once again. How, this, is, I th- this is my feeling how this story is built. It's not me who built it. Actually, the, 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 major, the major problem of a writer is to have a style. Because now, if, 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 you, if you read a good writer, then without knowing his name, you'll know this is his style. And the style comes by hazard. Every one of us will tell you, oh, I worked a lot, to f-, which is, it is bullshit. Don't believe anything. This comes just like that. It is a combination of memories and imaginations. And thus, to build a story for me, is to destroy a story. That is, when you are, you are building a story, the elements of the destruction of that story are there. And, and the story is the dialogue between building a line, building, building, building a, 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 a structure, and destroying that structure. And this is why the writer must play. And this is why the writer, and this is the most important thing, must not take himself seriously. If you take yourself seriously as a writer, then you will become a bad writer. If you think that you know how to write, then you know nothing. And, 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 I, th- and, and I think this is the major, the major element. You begin, when I begin a book, I really am so frightened because I think I don't know to write, how to write a sentence. And then this structure will emerge, and it will take me, and if it takes me and it, if it convinces me, then I continue the book. Otherwise, I throw it, which I, I've thrown a lot of books, uh, 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 because it, this opening and, and, and closure, this combination of characters and situations did not work. Now, of course, <coughs> you spoke about the Civil War and you spoke about Palestine. Yes. And lately, I was, I was in Paris, and I have to make a small discourse and I said something uh, which is very important to me. I said uh, that I come, uh, I have two countries, a country where I was born, which is Lebanon, and a country of my choice, which is Palestine. And I feel that I am a citizen of two countries which actually both of them do not exist. Uh, 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 <laughs> but you know, if, if, you, if you are a, a citizen of one country that does not exist, it's more, it's it's easier to be a citizen of more than one country that, that, does not, that do not exist than to be a citizen of one country that do not exist. And I think in these two countries, the tra- there are a co- two, two major tragedies. The one, the Lebanese one, is <coughs> the tragedy of a social, political, cultural structure which couldn't uh, arrive to a point where you can create a country or a state, because we are the captives of, of confessional structures, which are the, the, mo- the ugliest types of racism. And in Palestine, we don't arrive to have a country because of 
an invasion and because of a Nakba and because of a catastrophe. And it's not a hazard, I think, that the, that the Palest- Palestinian and Lebanese histories uh, are mingled together and they are mirroring each other. I'm going to move you back, if I may, to, to Palestine later on and, and, and to uh, what you call the tragedy of Lebanon. I want to stay with this lightness and this speed at which you tell stories. Uh, it isn't merely that they have to be mirrors, though, is it? There's also a, an element that one feels in reading uh, a, a book by Khoury uh, that the story must go on at any cost. And this is the Scheherazade element, it seems to me. You don't tell the story. You don't live in the morning. No, but, but actually, actually, there is no story that finishes. I mean, mm. ending a story is a concept, and and you have to finish a book because otherwise you'll die. I mean, I mean, uh, so you have to to, to 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 arrive to a point when you have to finish a book, but this doesn't mean that if that the book finished, and and I think I think books live through the readers, and they and the readers will change them the way they want, and I can tell you. Uh, Tens of stories of, of debates with my readers when they introduce uh, stories in my novels that I've never written. And they are convinced that they are part of the books. And, and, and at that moment, I feel that this is how books must be read. That is, they must be an open space and, and, and everyone can, can add to them. And of course, he can he can take parts of them if they are not if he doesn't like them. But but this this work, because stories never ends. Even if the hero normally normally writers, what do they do? They say, to finish a novel, you kill the the, the, the main the main you kill the main character. But then you discover that death is not the end of the story. Death can be a beginning of the story. This is what happened with me with uh, with the journey of Little Gandhi, for example. The, the novel begins with the death of, of the main character. And so does White Mask. In fact, he has a tendency to start a novel with a death. <laughs> and, a, and, and, the, and even death is not the end of the story. Maybe death is the beginning of the story. Because death, the death of a character will give, uh, will give others the possibilities of remodeling him, reimagining him, recreating him. And so we live... Uh, uh, and, and, and in a sense, literature is, is a way of dialogue with the dead. I think, I think the major way of dialogue with the dead is literature. We, we speak to them and we hear them and we live with them. And, 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 and this, which cre- I don't want to enter to that, but this creates this problematic of the relationship between literature and religion because they are both dealing with this relationship with the dead. Mm-hmm. Let's come to the dead. <laughs> um, yes, the sense that your, your sense that a reader can 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 pick up uh, so intimately on what it is you're you're saying and and feel that that he or she is right, writing uh, a way into it is quite interesting because it's possible, obviously, beyond the original Arabic. Um, I found something that you said uh, in the early nineties, ninety three, uh, uh, about translation. You said, "My basic fear has always been that my works will be translated as social documents." which I think is what you thought happened to Najib Mahfouz. And you went on to say, I'm not interested in presenting a social document because literature is, is only partially a social document. It's mostly literature. Yes, of course. You know, you know the thing is that, uh, that uh, the experience... Uh, now, now things are changing a lot. 
But uh, the experience of, uh, of modern Arabic literature, first with universities in the West, mm. uh, 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 it was considered to be a dead uh, culture. And so, so the Orientalists insisted that the Arabic literature is a literature which finished in the 9th century. And afterwards, there is no literature. And, 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 and in the beginning of the translation, I remember when, when Naguib Mahfouz was translated to French, uh, uh, his, his, his major work, the, the trilogy, was translated to French. Uh, it was only treated as a document of Cairo. And, and it was treated as a sociological, as an, an ethnological document. And I think this is an insult to literature. There is no need. If, 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 uh, if the, the, the readers are interested in, in social documents, they go and read social documents. There is no need to translate literature for that reason. I think literature is important as such, and translation of literature is either a need in the culture that is translating it, or it must not be done. I mean, I mean, uh, 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 if if I take if I take the history of modern Arabic literature, that is the the impact of the translations uh, of, for example, T. S. Eliot to Arabic, how it it played a major role in the innovation of modern Arabic poetry. Uh, 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 the translation of uh, Flaubert uh, novels to Arabic, how 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 it it played play, was a challenge to Arabic to Arabic fiction and to Arabic to Arabic. Uh, Prose. I think this is what what translation is. And the other thing is that we we, we only read great literature in translations. Every time I'm asked, uh, aren't, aren't you afraid that uh, you know translation, tradition, all this uh, French proverbs uh, 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 that if any book a book is translated, it will lose a lot. And and my reply is that uh, everything I've read, I've read Dostoevsky in translation. I've read uh, Homer in translation. Uh, I've read Gilgamesh in translation. Without translation, I, I, I would have not read anything mm-hmm. of value. And if, they lo- if a book loses 20 to 30% in translation and cannot take it, then it must not only not be translated, it must not be read. <laughs> Part of you, uh, to get back to this question of narrative and, your, mm-hmm. and, and your, what seems to me your um, distance from narrative, seems sometimes not to believe in the story that has just been told. Uh, you might start out and we'll, have a, uh, we'll, we'll be taken through a sequence of events which might involve, for example, a murder or a journey in Beirut. Uh, it will then involve some kind of forensic reconstruction about what happened. And then at the end of the day, a doubt will be cast on it. And in fact, there's a passage that we were talking about earlier which I'd, I'd just quite like to, to use as an illustration of this. Um, this novel, which came out in '81, actually, has just appeared uh, in English uh, this year, um, and it's, it starts with a death. You'll be—you <laughs> won't be surprised to hear—and uh, it goes on to, to uh, take take up the voices of a number of people who knew the deceased, uh, either intimately through the family, or uh, as a policeman, or as a member of a militia who encountered this person. Uh, and you feel, as you're working your way through the novel, um, that there is going to be some dis- disclosure about the nature of the death. But the way the novel pans out, uh, you are actually not allowed a disclosure. Uh, the, the, thing is, it, the thing remains mysterious. And, and what you remember, uh, having come to the end of the novel, is that 
you actually lived through all these lives of witnesses who in the end turned out not to produce uh, a viable account of the death. Now the author also has his doubts about this viable account. As we're reaching the end, he says, so now, dear reader, you too may feel as, as bewildered as I do. Faced with the impossibility of discovering the truth, you must doubt, as I do, the reported incident itself, as well as people's accounts. And it goes on to say, the truth is now, I have to admit, that I made a mistake. I should have used a more serious incident as my point of departure. After all, how significant is the discovery of a corpse, especially that of an unremarkable man, just an ordinary citizen? So, it's a meaningless story, I admit it. Had I been looking for meaning, I should have taken a different tack and told the story of Genghis Khan, for example. <laughs> it's written. I mean, you want more? I mean, I mean, you want more? I mean, uh, uh, I, I think, I think uh, it's all, it's all uh, literature is about a combination of uh, of memories and imagination, and memories are not reliable, and also imagination is not reliable, and when we put these two elements together, the most interesting thing in literature is not to tell us what happened, but to question our knowledge and to question our, uh, our ways of seeing and to put new perspectives. And it puts, and, and I'm speaking here as, as someone who wrote this book. For me, it was, it was, it was uh, uh, an experience to accept and to go inside the different possibilities of reality and to discover these different possibilities uh, <coughs> with, their, with their versions, which does not mean that there is no reality, but it means that reality has at least many face, faces, and we have to see these faces. And this is what, what literature helps us to do. If you want reality about, uh, about uh, this crime, for example, you just go and read the report or the forensic uh, report, and that's it. You know which how, appears in the novel, which is which is texto appears in the in the in the book. Uh, for this was the most difficult part of the book because I'm not a medical doctor and I have to work a lot to make it uh, to make it a text which looks like a real uh, a real uh, uh, document. So, but but if you are interested in living in a situation, mm. if you are interested in traveling, I think I think literature is a way of of traveling. Writers travel through the texts, and readers travel through the texts. And, and, and it's an amazing way of traveling because it's a discovery of what you don't know. And for, for writers also, if, if you write what you know, then there is no point of writing a book. You write because, because you discover through writing new things which you never thought about, which you never knew that uh, they exist. And, and, and this is the adventure. And I think, I think literature, in this sense, literature was, 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 was conceived as an adventure. If you go to the first text we, we, we have, uh, first written text in the, in the history of literature, which is Gilgamesh, it's, it's a story of travel. Mm-hmm. Not only of facing death, but it's the travels of Gilgamesh and Enkidu uh, through the forests and so on and so forth. That is, it's a travel to discover new, new things. And the whole idea of Sindibad in the, in the nights, it's someone who travels and who comes back to tell us what, ha- what he has seen, what happened. So we have to travel. 
And in this travel, we will discover, we will enjoy traveling first. And, and, and in your writing, actually, it's also a hermeneutic adventure, isn't it? It's actually something to do with text and language and the adventure of writing itself, of going from one paragraph to, to another and from one story to another. Right. Uh, I mean, this is a world, a, a, a world of, 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 of many, many archipelagos, and uh, most of them in Beirut, in fact. And you begin to get a sense from this novel, as you do from many of his books, many of your books, that... Um, um, really, the the uh, the root of the uh, uh, of, of of the story of of why this man died, and this man was uh, 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 a person who lost his son to martyrdom in a, a crazy civil war, um, and who never fully recovered from it, and uh, began to preserve the posters that were put up of his son uh, by the by his militia comrades, and meticulously look after them, and then gradually go on to destroy them. And go and to lose his mind. The feeling is that the at, the at the root of so many of these deaths and these difficulties and these injuries um, is the war itself, is the nature of the city and and what happened to it uh, between 1975 and 1990. So actually, you do have a culprit, in a sense. Yes, of course, this is part of of the experience. I, I, I do not write about the war. I write no. in the war. I write. Exactly. I write through living this war and actually. Uh, while I was there, there's a very, very. Uh, th- this book has two two interesting stories. The first one is a personal story because while I was writing this book, I was writing in my in my bedroom uh, because I don't. Uh, at that time, I didn't have a study, and uh, and then I heard my wife uh, from the dining room asking me to come because there was a problem in the television. So I left the bedroom to go to try to fix the television, and I'm very bad in fixing things anyway. So it took, it took a long time, and, at that, and during that time, there was a shell which exploded in the balcony of our neighbors, and all the sharpness entered my room. And when I came back to, to, to the table where I was writing, it was full of sharpness. So, so in a sense, my stupidity saved my life in this, in this sense. The other thing, this man, the hero of this book, this book is like like all books. You have you have references to reality, of course. We, we do not invent everything. We use uh, what we know. We use people and and so on. But the major character, who is Khalil Ahmad Jaber, who is this man that Jeremy described, who lost his son, and then he he left home and began wandering in the streets of Beirut, and and uh, 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 painting the walls of Beirut with white. And at that moment, he was killed. This man is a totally, a 100% fictive creature. And one day, a friend of mine came to me and he told me he saw that man. So I, I, I thought he was joking. Then we took his car and we wandered. And then we saw someone who, with the same coat, with the same hat, as described in this book. And he was trying to paint near the Carlton Hotel in the Corniche of Beirut. And I was really terrified. This is the, normally people enter books. This is one of the rare times that someone jumped from a book. <laughs> so I tried to speak to him because I thought maybe I'll do a, a second uh, volume of this book. And, and the man refused to speak to me. It seems he was totally insane and he couldn't speak. And he, he, he left. So, but this shows something for me very, very profound. 
That is, when we are creating fictions, we are also creating reality. And, and in the end, we don't know who is imitating who. Reality is imitating fiction, or fiction is imitating reality. And I think here lies uh, 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 the experience of writing, just to be in the middle between, between these two aspects and trying to put them together. I wanted to talk to you a bit about Yellow, which is the most recent of the novels to be translation, translated, that's to say the most recently written, uh, uh, which was translated in 2008. Um, Yellow was received, and indeed it's even described as a controversial novel. Um, it is a very difficult novel to read, or I found it so, and I said that to you when we last spoke about it, uh, because it is an extremely dark, uh, unremitting account of torture. It's an account of sexual violence uh, um, of all sorts in prison uh, uh, and in the hills outside Beirut. Uh, and this difficulty uh, made some readers have a hard time with it. Um, I wanted to ask you how you felt about the writing of it um, and how you reconciled the presence of that very, very harsh material with the project as a whole, because it's actually going somewhere else by the end, which I hope we'll go on to talk about. No, actually, actually, the story of Yellow is a very... Uh, I think it's a very nice story. I love the Gobi boy, and I finished, uh, we finished by becoming friends. And uh, he is, he comes from a small uh, community, some small Christian community in Lebanon, who are the Syriacs that speaks, uh, that continue to speak Syriac, which is, which was the language that our Lord used to speak. And he had a grandfather who was a priest, and the grandfather was a priest, uh, was frightened by the idea that Syriac is dying as a language, and when Jesus will come, he will find nobody to speak his language. Uh, uh, so I, I, in order to write this book, I had to study Syriac. I'm not, I'm not from that community. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a, a, a very interesting experience in studying a new language. And for me, it was a big question about the death of languages. Normally, we speak about the death of uh, individuals. But actually, first, all languages will die. And it is a terrifying experience. Because with, with the death of a language, a whole culture will disappear. So this was one level. The other level is um, Yalo as the son of the civil war, uh, who was engaged in the civil war when he was 14, and, and with all the problematics of that, and which will end that he became a raper. And, and, and actually, he, he was taken to jail not because he was raping women, uh, but because he, he, fo- he fell in love with one of the women he raped, and he made with her a long, uh, a long, uh, a long uh, relationship. But of course, she was all the time frightened because his code, she couldn't, she couldn't manage his code of language. He used to play things uh, in a very bizarre way because he is not part of the bourgeois society. And the third level, Yalo was taken to jail, and he was tortured not because he raped women, mm. but because at that moment in Beirut. Uh, 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 there were there were some bombs thrown uh, thrown in the city, and and the authorities thought that there was a gang which is related to the Israelis that was doing so. So he was tortured in a very tough way, and the technique of torturing him was very uh, innovative uh, uh, because uh, because besides the physical uh, torture, there was a psychological torture which was very tough. 
the interrogator asked him to write, he gave him papers and he asked him to write his life story. So Yalo had to write his life story seven times and he didn't know how to write. And, and the book is what he has written. This is the book. The book are the versions that he has written about this uh, mechanism of, of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting his life story because every time he rewrites, he writes, uh, the interrogator will uh, take him to torture saying that you didn't tell the truth. So in the end, he discovered that he must lie. So he became a writer. So he wrote, he wrote yes. the last version. Now, now writing for Yalu was a technique used by the interrogator to destroy his personality. But actually, this technique of destroying his personality was a, a way for him to reconstruct himself. So, so through writing, he will discover uh, uh, himself. He will discover his society. And, and he will manage to, to, to overcome torture and to or- overcome death and to overcome the threats of torture. Now, the torture I'm describing in Yalu, which uh, uh, many people thought it, they are very tough, but I'm sorry, this is, uh, this is how they torture. Just you have to look at pictures just after Abu Gharib and, uh, and Guantanamo. You know, uh, uh, the, you know, the torturers have bigger imaginations than any, than any writer in the world. They are, they are the, 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 the diabolic imagination par excellence. Uh, 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 these, what I wrote about torture is what I knew about torture, which is taking place in the prisons in the Arab world. And there is nothing invented in it. Nothing. Not one technique of torture. The only thing which, was, which is fiction is uh, torturing him through obliging him to write. Mm. And I hope the, the, the Arab dictators will uh, read this book and, and will accept the idea that uh, they, can, they can change the way of torture and, and make it easier for, for everybody. Now, this, the ho- these three elements opens the question of identity because Yalo actually is a Syriac, he's a Christian, but his grandfather, who became afterwards a priest, uh, it comes from a village in uh, in north in in, in 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 Turkey, which was totally destroyed uh, during the Armenian massacre. Nobody speaks about the Syriac massacre because it was a small massacre in the shadow of a huge massacre, which was the Armenian mm. massacre. And the, everybody in the village was killed except children who were less than three years. And these children were adopted by Kurds. And uh, the grandfather was adopted. And when he was 15 years old, his uncle came and to buy him. So actually, this man who afterwards will, will come to Beirut and will rediscover his identity as a Syriac, and he will become a priest, his real identity was a double identity. He was a Syriac and a Kurd, and he was a Christian and a Muslim. Because, and and, and I, was, I was not trying to make a message, a, 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 a moral message. I, I, I was trying to say that this is reality. Reality, in reality, there is no one pure identity. And when people speak about pure identity, it means they know nothing about what is identity. Identities are layers, and we, I'm coming from a culture where, and from a part of the world where never this stupid idea 
of, of the etanasium, which was invented in Europe and which led to all the ethnic cleansings afterwards in the world, uh, uh, that, that there is one identity to a, one, to a people. All, in all my, the, our history, identity was, was problematic and was, has many layers. I am an Arab and uh, myself, and I come from a Christian family, and culturally I'm a Muslim, and, and, and uh, I am an atheist, and, uh, and I'm a leftist, uh, 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 all, all in the same time. And, and if someone has only one identity, it means this is fascism par excellence. So in this novel, the, the, major, the major problematic of the novel, because it was trying to, to, to grasp our experience of the civil war, was to show that the struggle the, in this Lebanese civil war about identity between Christians and Muslims and then between Sunnis and Shiites, and, and it, can, it can go on forever, is, is, is stupid and mad because none has one identity. And we are all part of a combination of identities. And I think this will save our region. The only two uh, uh, states, Etanation, that worked in the region were, were, uh, were Turkey and Israel. And both were built upon ethnic cleansing. In Turkey, it was the Armenians. And in Palestine, it was the Palestinians. This was the major catastrophical. And, and then adopting this idea of one identity will lead to open civil wars, which will never end. Your uh, description of, of Lebanon, is, uh, not only as a, uh, as a multicultural society struggling with uh, the nation state and all that uh, implies for you, is also uh, of a, a place that's, that's fundamentally an oral culture which, which failed to write things down. I don't know whether you remember, you said this in the 90s, that, that one of the things that really worried you was that the, there wasn't a history, and you went into the archive, I think you were doing, you were doing a PhD, um, yeah. um, to look at the Civil War of 1860, and there just wasn't anything there. Um, and um, uh, you found this very alarming. And that, of course, you made that remark really in the pre-digital age, and I was wondering if it's changed at all if uh, more stuff is going down on paper or on screen or in the archive and uh, what you feel about that. Now, uh, first of all, what, what astonished me is, is that uh, I come from a country where we had three civil wars in one century. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one was 20 years, a civil war of 20 years, 1840, 1860. The second one was a small one, 19, it was 1958, six months, which was a rehearsal of the long one, which will take place in 1975. Uh, till 19, officially till 1990, but of, practically it's still going on in a way or another. And and my astonishment was that to discover that, because in the in the in the in the in the end, in the last part, in the last third of the 19th century, what we call the Arab Renaissance took place. They were intellectuals. Uh, uh, the Arab Renaissance took place in two place in two parts of the Arab world. It was in Lebanon and in Egypt. And, and the Lebanese intellectuals played a major role in the, in the innovation of Arabic language, and they created the modern Arabic language, what we call now the standard Arabic, which is used in the newspapers and, every, and so on. And to my astonishment, and these guys were, were great writers by all means, and they all come from Mount Lebanon, where the massacres of 1840-1860 took place. And in all their writings, they never spoke about what happened. 
as if it was a shame, which was a shame, of course. A civil war, a confession civil war is shameful. It's not يعني, to be proud uh, of, 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 uh, of massacres and, and, and rapes and whatever. Uh, but they didn't, wrote, they didn't write the civil war. And when the, this new civil war began in 1975, I was in my early 20s, and I was astonished to discover that my father began telling stories about the first civil war, which took place one century ago. And of course, my father did not live that civil war. His father did not live that civil war. It must be his grandfather or the father of his grandfather. So besides the, the silence in writing, there was a, a, a secret discourse in the oral life. And at a moment, this secret discourse will emerge. And I think to put, a, 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 to separate the present from the past, because I always defend the idea that you have to write the present. But to separate the present from the past, you have to write what's going on. If you don't write, then the past will survive, will go on surviving, and will go on haunting. And I think what, what my generation of writers in Lebanon did is they did the contrary of what our grandfathers did in the beginning of the Nahda. That is, we wrote our, the experience of the civil war. And I think this is a huge difference. Uh, 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 now, on the other hand, unfortunately... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. In the human, in the, in the, in the social sciences, uh, uh, the civil war is written in a very, very shake, shady way. It's not written because to write history... You need, you need uh, someone, a victor, because, because uh, uh, the victors write, write history. And in the Lebanese civil war, everybody is, was defeated. Nobody, nobody uh, no, uh, only, only our, our Syrian brothers, in a way or another, uh, managed to become victorious. Even Israel was defeated. So, uh, 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 and when, when you don't have a victor, you don't have one version of history. And you don't have, and since we don't have a state, so... Even in social sciences and history, it's very problematic. The only document you find now about this civil war, you'll find in the fiction and in movies and in videos. That is in art. And it's possible to do it in art because art is not taken seriously. 
that is, they are, um, they accept that we say things like that, like what we write, because it's nobody will read them, and uh, it's not, it's not uh, 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 mainstream, mainstream culture. And unfortunately, if this the experience of the president will not enter the mainstream culture, then there is a big problem. I've got two questions uh, uh, that lead, lead from that. I mean, the fir- first one is, is history really, the writing of history, for you purely a, a salutary experience? In other words, does, his, does the purpose history serve? Um, is it simply to ensure that, that uh, uh, mistakes are not repeated? Is that part of your sense of what, of, 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 of what one's doing by committing material and, 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 uh, and evidence to paper? And the second thing is, on the matter of identity, uh, yes, it's a bad idea to have an identity, but there may be identities that we can't relinquish. Um, for example, at what point would you happily relinquish your honorary Palestinian identity, which is something hard won and, and, and well earned? Now, first of all, about history, I'm not, although I studied history and I was supposed to be a historian, but uh, I never practiced uh, this work. I made only mm. a dissertation and then I stopped. Uh, 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 I, no, I think I think history. Uh, 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 no, it doesn't help that uh, the errors of the past will not be repeated. Because look at look at the world of today. All Quite. the errors of the past are repeated. It's uh, it's meaningless right. to say that uh, history will tell us not to repeat errors. Because man, uh, 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 the politics and the dominant politics is only to repeat errors, and errors are repeated every day. The thing is that history makes a difference between the past and the present. And the most terrifying moment is when the past invades the present. Yani, let's, let's for, for example, take this story of, of General Alembi, the British general who, who conquered Jerusalem in 1917. Uh, this gentleman, when he entered Jerusalem, uh, after he entered he made a declaration. He said, now the Crusaders' war ended. And he thought he was saying something so historical. But actually, he, he was saying that now the Crusaders' war ended. Actually, he was telling, he, he was misleaded because now, when he entered with the Balfour Declaration, the Crusaders' war re-began. So it was totally misleading to, to use the past, to, use the pre- to, to, to speak about the present as a repetition of the past is totally misleading. It only leads... To, 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 to criminal actions. But history is there to, uh, uh, to be separated from the present. And, and what we are living now in the Arab world and in the Islamic world and everywhere in the world is this revival of, of these memories, uh, vague memories of, of, of the past, which are practically, you find them mainly in religion, which are haunting our present and which can destroy our present. And so that's all what I want from history is to separate, not, not more than that, but repeating errors. Human beings will continue to repeat the same errors forever. I don't know why, but, uh, <laughs> but and, 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 you know, literature is all, about, is all about human fragility. If human beings do not repeat errors, we don't have anything to do. I mean, we, have, we, have to, we have, don't have work. Uh, 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 we deal with mainly with the human fragility. We deal mainly with the human weakness. We deal mainly with... This relationship with time, which is which is very profound and w- which is very absurd, 
and 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 I think what literature does is literature is trying to give meaning to a life which is meaningless. It's an attempt to give meaning to something which is meaningless. Tell me about identity and the yes. the identities that one can relinquish and those that one can't. No, I think I think identity is a choice. I think uh, I think Should I think it's a choice. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean. Uh, sometimes a person's choice cannot 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 be recognized, and you have to struggle for it. Uh, I understand that, that this, all, the whole struggle of the civil rights movements in the, in the United States was also about identity, was about imposing uh, uh, diversity of identities upon the American identity. This this is what was all about, and until now it's still problematic. But uh, but uh, but this is this is uh, a major struggle. This is the struggle of South Africa, which ended with the victory of, of uh, the ANC, but still in the daily life of South Africa, this is a daily struggle. That is to, 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 to mix together s- different identities and, and to create from them uh, uh, not one identity, but a possibility of identities in the same time. And identities do not destroy the lives of people and do not, do not separate people because you are black or you are Christian or you are or you are an, a Palestinian, or you are a Jew, or whatever. And, and now, as far as for myself, I, I have, as I told you, I, have, I feel I have many, I, I feel really I have many identities. Now, uh, the simplest one is the Palestinian. The complicated one is how, how you are uh, uh, Christian and Muslim uh, and atheist and Lebanese and Arab. But being Palestinian, Palestinian is an identification and I insist upon it. I think, I think this is a major criterion of our times. If someone is a humanistic, if someone, uh, if someone feels that of, of any kind of, of human solidarity, he cannot but be a Palestinian because the Palestinians are not only victims, but they are, and this is the tragic part of their story, they are the victims of victims. And it's very difficult to be the victims of victims because your language is destroyed from inside and you have all the time to prove that you have the right to be a victim even if you are victimized by a victim or by 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 a political movement that is using without uh, uh, any moral limits the victimization of the jewish uh, 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 people during the Second World War. So, uh, 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 so I'm in this sense. I'm like anybody else. I'm, 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 I'm totally Palestinian. And then I remember my 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 very dear friend Edward Said, who once wrote that he is the last Jew. So, uh, uh, so someone like Edward Said, who is the voice, who was the voice of of the Palestinian struggle, will will define himself as the last Jew, which makes it which gives sense to this that we identify with all the victims. And here, here to go back to this idea of identification, I remember the uh, 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 psychoanalyst Jacques Hassoun, the French-Jewish-Egyptian uh, psychoanalyst, who, who made a very interesting differentiation between identity and identification. For him, identity is not an issue or it is a fascist issue, whereas the issue is identification. 
with whom we identify. And we can go uh, overcome or go beyond the problematics of identity through this concept of identification. Something that you mentioned yesterday um, in talking about, the, about <coughs> 1948 um, and the eviction of, uh, of the Palestinians, um, um, what's known as the Nakba, um, you, told, you said that uh, it was a fallacy to think that the Nakba had taken place in 1948 alone. Could you gloss that? No, this is actually a, a subject of a long, uh, a long research I'm doing now. Uh, my hypothesis is what, what we think is a big victory for the Palestinians, uh, for the Palestinian narrative, is that the idea that the Nakba of 1948 took place became callous. Everybody will. Nobody can deny the Nakba, except, of course, uh, Lieberman and uh, company and all these fascists uh, 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 in Israel, but but the Nakba as an event which took place in 1948, with the ethnic cleans- cleansing that happened, where uh, 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 most of the Palestinian population were uh, were uh, evacuated from Palestine by force, is now a reality, and and nobody can deny it except if you want to deny uh, mm-hmm. what is very clear. But I think this concept is a mis- misleading concept because. The, the, the premises of this concept is that the Nakba took place in 1948, that it happened. Whereas my hypothesis is that the Nakba is a process and not an event. The Nakba began in 1948, and it's now taking place in Gaza. It's now taking place in the West Bank. It's now taking place with the wall. That is, the Nakba, the Palestinian Nakba, is a process. If it was like Libovich, I don't know if you are familiar with this great uh, uh, Israeli uh, uh, thinker and rabbi and philosopher. Uh, 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 um, he, in 1967, uh, uh, was a very special voice telling the Israelis that, that the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza is a catastrophe for Israel and for the world because it will question the existence of Israel itself. But actually, the mechanisms... Since 1948, because if you remember in 1956, the Israelis uh, invaded Egypt for no reason. I, I, the British and the French were colonial forces, and the Suez Canal was occupied, was nationalized by Nasser, and they wanted to stay as empires. They, they at that time thought they were still empires. So they invaded Egypt. You can understand this stupid action. But why Israel participated in that invasion? There is no, no reason at all. Uh, 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 then in 1967 there was the war and fr- the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza and the Golan Heights, of course. And and then in, then uh, then in 19 uh, 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 in the 80s there was the occupation of parts of southern Lebanon. Then uh, 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 in 1982 there was the occupation till Beirut and the massacres of Sabra and Shatila, and 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 till the massacres of Jenin and Gaza and so on and so forth. So the Nakba is a process. And if we don't understand it as a process, we, we, we cannot understand what's going on now. And what is, what is important in the struggle for justice in Palestine is to stop the process of the Nakba. This is the first step. Speaking about peace or uh, a two-state solution or binational state and all, all, all these uh, items, I, I think are meaningless. First, you have to stop the, the Nakba, which is in process and is still taking place. And, and, and I think 
rethinking this idea of the Nakba could be very crucial and very important for us as, 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 uh, as militants now for justice uh, uh, because it will help us to understand better how tough is the struggle and how long it will be, unfortunately. Could I ask you a last question about uh, um, what you're working on at the moment? Um, you're doing something that, that is a kind of sequel, isn't it, to Gate of the Sun? This is something that you'd like to... To get what? To a, a kind of a, a, an evolution of, of Gate of the Sun, of Baba Shams. This is something... No, no, actually, now I'm finishing a novel, which has nothing to do with Baba Shams, mm-hmm. but it's coming out in December, I hope. So it's finished. And uh, then my new project, which I began working on it since five years, is, uh, is uh, to co- because you know, Baby Shams finishes with uh, Khalil saying, and I walk, and I walk, and I walk, and there is no full stop. And I insisted uh, upon mm. my publisher that there must not be a full stop because this is not the end of the novel. So uh, my new novel uh, um, is not a continuation, is a re-questioning of the whole, is a re-questioning of Baby Shams itself. Rephrasing. And, no, no, re-questioning, yeah, yeah. totally re-questioning the Baby Shams approach. And it is uh, from the approach of uh, the Palestinians who stayed behind, that is, the Palestinians who stayed in Israel, and, and their experience, and then the experience, their experience with, mingled with the experience of the occupied territories of the, of the West Bank, mainly, mainly of the West Bank. And it's an attempt... Not only to reread, uh, to read reality, social, the, the 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 Palestinian daily life and everydayness, which I think is is very important, and an attempt not only to read the what we can call the uh, necropolitics of occupation, because one of the major issues about occupation is about uh, death, is about where you can bury and you cannot bury, and this is one of the major things that the Palestinians in the West Bank are facing, and nobody speaks about it. Uh, uh, but but also it's a questioning of the literature related to the question of Palestine. That is a questioning of from the Palestinian questioning of Sankana Fani's Gate of the Sun, uh, uh, Emil Habibis, uh, the best uh, optimist, and questioning our our uh, the literature of our Israeli cousins uh, 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 where the Palestinian character is a shadow. And trying to to put these elements together in the in the real experience of of uh, of the Palestinians of uh, of Israel. It would be nice now to kind of throw this open, and um, if anybody would like to comment or ask a question, or uh, thank you for speaking to us, Elias. Um, a common theme in, in a lot of your novels seems to be repetition, be it in Yalo or Babashams or Jabal Sagir. And I was wondering, um, what is your fondness for this device of repetition? Uh, and perhaps why is it so significant to you to have repetition constantly happening in these novels? See, there are... Uh, first, first of all, um, you know, the, the, our, our in, in the Arabic uh, culture, uh, uh, we don't have painting, but we have arabesque. And arabesque is a repetition. And it's a repetition with uh, small differences, small nuances of differences. This is how things develop or evolve in the art of arabesque. If you take music, the maqam 
also is a repetition. But it's in every repetition there is a change. And I think I think the major one of the major questions about prose uh, uh, is to have uh, to have to have a kind of 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 uh, music, a kind of rit- rhythm in français. What's the rhythm? Rhythm. Rhythm. You must have a rhythm. Prose is not just uh, flowing uh, sentences. And and I thought, and 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 I thought this is. If 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 in prose you can create this rhythm, which will correspond to the arabesque and to the maqam, then you arrive to introduce something beautiful, not only new but beautiful in literature. And I hope you find it beautiful. Thank you. It's great to hear you um, and to have you here. Um, you talk very eloquently about the abuse by the State of Israel of the victimization of the Jewish people. And yet in Babel Shams, there are two moments, one where the Libyan Jamal turns out to have a Jewish mother, and one where Khalil challenges the comatose Eunice about what he was doing when the Jews were rounded up for the slaughter. I thought these were two very bold, very risky moments in your novel. I love them, I might say. But I wanted to know what response you got to them in the Arab world. I'm thinking of Edward Said's Bases for Coexistence, where he talks about a sharing of suffering. And he got hate mail in the Arab press for saying that. So I wanted to know what response you got to moments like that in your novel, but also what you thought you were doing. I know you won't be able to answer that, but sort of. Some free associations around those moments. Uh, First, uh, there is another moment, which is the moment of Ella Dweck, who is an Israeli Jewish who immigrated from Lebanon, uh, uh, who was a Lebanese Jew who immigrated and who was living in Kuikat, who was living in a village in, in, in the Galilee, and um, Hassan, uh, the one of the major narrator of my novel, will come to visit her ho- her house, and she will meet with uh, with Ella Dweck. And in the end, uh, in the end, uh, um, Hassan was trembling, and uh, she showed the Jewish woman uh, things which she never saw in the land because this is the land of um, Hassan. And then when um, Hassan, uh, 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 when the the Jewish the Israeli woman asked um, Hassan from where you come, and she says from Shatila, and the woman will ask her, where is Shatila? And she will say it's in Beirut. And uh, The Israeli woman will become mad. She will tell her, take all this sh- this, uh, ba- this land and give me back Beirut, and I want to go back to Beirut. And, and I thought the, this meeting between these two women is, is very important because, because it reflects how, how, uh, how uh, people, how enemies can, can mirror each other. Now, what I was trying to do, I was just trying to, to speak the evident. Now, the evident is the most difficult thing to say. That is, in, 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 in literature, in the Arabic literature, besides Kanafani, and then in the Palestinian literature, you have, you have Kanafani, who in his, in his novel, Return to Haifa, you have a, a real uh, Jewish character who is uh, a, a Holocaust uh, survivor, 
And in Mahmoud Darwish, of course, you have this uh, character of Rita, who all the Arab youngsters sing her s- the songs of Marcel Khalifi, praising Rita, and nobody thought that Rita is a Jewish girl. <laughs> and I remember once we were in Morocco, and there was a symposium about that, and Mahmoud was sitting near me, and I, my, my paper was about Rita, and then I depicted all her character, all her physical uh, uh, appearances in his works, and then I ended by saying this is evident that this is not only a Jewish girl, an Israeli girl, but she is a soldier in the Israeli army. Uh, uh, everybody was, was totally astonished, but it is the evidence. If just you open Mahmoud Darwish, you will discover this, but nobody wanted to see reality. So seeing the other, seeing the Jew in Palestine is evident. I mean, you cannot, you cannot be in Palestine without seeing Jews. So what I did is, uh, is the simplest thing. Uh, 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 there are characters who are who are Jewish, Israeli, one who immigrated from Germany, and the other the woman, and the other woman immigrated uh, immigrated from Lebanon, and and this is the evident thing. Now, I tried not to speak about 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 things I do not know, so I tried. Uh, uh, the, this is why, for example, the character of Ella Dweck is much more developed than the character of the German woman. Because Ella Dweck is Lebanese, and I know I can make some research, and I can I know I know many Jewish uh, uh, Lebanese uh, Lebanese who are Jews, so I can I can speak a little bit about the environment which I know. Whereas German, not, next year I'll be in Germany, so maybe it will develop a little bit. Now the other the other question is about about uh, this mention of the Holocaust, and and I think this is the uh, really the first. Uh, the first uh, text, which says about responsibilities, and 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 Khalil was saying that uh, that uh, uh, he is hearing the uh, trains, and and he was speaking to Yunus and telling him, "Don't tell me you didn't know, and don't tell me you have nothing to do with with what happened, because we are all responsible about what happened." And I think, I think this is first. This is what I feel. And, and this is this is we are all responsible for what happened, and we are res- responsible not not to make it happen again. And this is the main I- issue. It's not only the past, but it's also the present and the future. Now, uh, now the reactions. F- uh, the, the other thing before going to the reactions, I want just to 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 mention a book which just came out in English by uh, a very good scholar whose name is Gilbert Ashar, uh, entitled the, "The Arabs and the Holocaust." And I think this is a major, major work. I don't know why till now the London Review of Books did not, uh, did not make a review of this book. It's an excellent book. And it's an excellent book because it attacks a taboo in the Arab culture. A taboo in the Arab culture which was, which was, uh, which was uh, fueled by the, our governments and, 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 and the stupidity of our governments. Because, you know, the Arab governments... And these dictators, all the time, they say they love Palestine, but actually they love Palestine and hate the Palestinians. So if, if you see what's... Uh, yesterday there was a law in the Lebanese parliament to give the Palestinians the right to work, who are living in Lebanon since 62 years, the right to, have a, to, to buy a, a, an apartment, which was, n- did not pass in the Lebanese parliament. Because these Arab regimes hate the Palestinians. And they make Palestine as a pretext, and they kill Palestinians. So, uh, 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 so this is. A, I was speaking about Gilbert Ashar's book, which is crossing a taboo, 
And speaking about the experience, the, the very, very terrible experience of, uh, and, and, and the errors of Hajj Amin Husseini, who was the leader of the Palestinian movement, which must be tackled at last. I mean, either we are, uh, we are authentic and we are serious or we are not. Now, the overall of Bab Shams was much more uh, important than this sentence about the Holocaust. So it was not, nobody, nobody, I, I think two, two critics went through it only. Uh, uh, first, when Bab Shams was published, I was afraid from the Palestinians because it's about the Nakba and it's about, about uh, the shame of the Nakba. Because it's a defeat, the Nakba is not. And, and there is a trauma about the Nakba. This is why no Palestinian writer wrote the novel of the Nakba. And they have to wait, this stupid Lebanese uh, uh, who tried to formulate it. Uh, 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 but there were two remarks, and both of them were saying that this is due to the influence of Edward Said on me, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> uh, during your discussion with Jeremy, you spoke of um, a concern that um, translation might uh, can um, um, reduce uh, the sort of refined product of literature back to its. Uh, raw material of social documentation. Uh, my question is actually goes the other way. Um, I'm interested in your own take on the process of distillation of social documentation into literature, into novelization, about your own approach to this process of dist distillation or, or the, the conversion process, how you convert social documentation in, into, into novelization. Wow. This is very serious and very difficult to tell you the truth because, because actually, actually, what? Uh, of course, of course, we write we write about about uh, about an experience, and all, any experience is a social experience. You cannot have. We're we're, we're speaking about human beings. We are not writing novels about nature. Uh, so uh, uh, everything is a social experience. Now, how, how uh, uh, to grasp what one can call the essence of your time? And I think this is what all writers dream that they are doing. And most of them do not do it. This is why, in the end, uh, only very few names will, 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 will overcome time, because they, they c could grasp the essence and the essential experience of their time. And grasping the essential experience of, of your time, this is what makes you, uh, 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 I, don't, I don't want to use the term eternal, but this is what makes literature live long time. Because it comes from a special experience, and it comes from a special historical move, move, moment and it can grasp, let's say, the transition in that moment. Actually, here I, I remember what Marx once wrote about why the Greek literature is very important and it, it, uh, it, it is still uh, modern to us. And the idea of Karl Marx was that the Greek literature is a literature of transition. It was a huge human transition towards the human values. This is why Oedipus the king is a play which we, we can read and reread forever because it tells us about this transition from uh, from 
habits to new habits, to new habits which we consider human habits. And this is why, uh, why the story of Abraham uh, is, is very important as a story, not as... Uh, because also, it is... Uh, of course, Abraham was... Uh, I never understood Abraham, how one can take his son to kill him, but this is another, another approach towards Abraham. But also, it's a transition from killing the son which is not which is considered to be not human towards something which is considered to be human. So actually, I we we cannot tell if we are uh, if we are if we are holding or we arrive to the essence of our time or and to the essence of the transition. When we were young and Marxist in in a very I'm still Marxist but no more in this uh, stubborn way. When we were at that point, we, we used to think that through uh, 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 scientific analysis of reality, you can grasp the essence of your time. Now I don't have anything to lead me there. All what we try to do is to be sincere to ourselves, sincere to our experience, and try to make the most playful story we can do and then afterwards it's up to the readers and I think it's up to time to decide if we, we, we grasp this essence or not. Now of course you wanted in your question there is another level which is how writers deviate the social experience or cover the social experience which happens but I think the major role of the writer is to uncover things to say the non-said. And I don't know uh, how much we are able to do so or how much when we think we are doing so, we are really doing it. You said that you trained initially as a historian. I was wondering what it was that led you to feel that you needed to make the move from, from history to literature and specifically to writing fiction, whether there was a moment when you felt that this was the way that you needed to make sense of things and whether there were perhaps any particular writers who seemed to you to be models of what you wanted to achieve in your own writing? You know, first of all, I, 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 I moved because uh, first I didn't move from uh, uh, trying to be a historian uh, to become a writer. I just moved from trying to be a historian to someone who's trying to make history because we were in a moment where we felt that we were making history. It was the times of uh, Vietnam and Che Guevara and the Palestinian, the beginning of the Palestinian Revolution. And we thought that instead of studying history, we have to make history. So this is what, why I didn't go to the academic uh, uh, field of, of historians. And uh, while I was trying to make history, I discovered that uh, 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 the thing I was reading all the time, when I have some free time, and you know, you have a lot of free times when you are in the base, military bases, because you do nothing uh, except uh, from time to time. Uh, the thing I used to do was to read the novels all the time and to read poetry. Actually, I love poetry more. I, I, I memorize poetry and I envy poets, but uh, I've never been a poet. So uh, all the time I was reading literature, all the time. And I used to come to Beirut uh, and to pick books and take them with me. And instead of reading about the tactics of uh, the war of the people, as we used to call it, according to, our, to Chairman Mao at that time, 
uh, instead of that, I was reading I was reading novels, and the, and the novelist who occupied my imaginary at that moment, and he's still occupying my imaginary, was Dostoevsky. And I think uh, The Idiot is the most beautiful book I've read in my life. And I hope that some critics one day will uh, realize that partly Yalo is a dialect with Prince Mishkin, with The Idiot of Dostoevsky, because I think and and I and 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 of course I read all the Russian classics, Chekhov, uh, uh, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, uh, uh, Maxim Gorky. I didn't like Max- we, we we were supposed to love Maxim Gorky, but <laughs> I didn't. I, I I never. I was never in love with Maxim Gorky, and and of course the French novel, which is uh, Flaubert, um, Stendhal. Uh, these were the major uh, my the major thing I used to do. And then I decided to write a novel. And I was very young. You know, writing, writing like marriage, you must be very young and stupid to do it. <laughs> because you must feel that you can do it. I mean, I mean, I mean and when, when I wrote my first, my first two novels, if you to compare with what I feel now when I begin a novel, it was totally different. I was so courageous because I didn't care. Mm. And and so I decided to write a novel, and I write a novel which uh, I, I I took it to to uh, uh, the major publishing house of novels in Lebanon, which is called Darlada, who are still my publishers. And at that time, uh, Sohel Dries was the editor uh, of and the owner and the editor of that publishing house, and they gave him my novel. I I never met the man. I told him, look, I wrote a novel. Take it. He told me, oh, okay, I'll read it and I'll call you. And I said, Khalas, he will forget it. And two months later, he called me at home and he told me, look, your novel is bad, but I will publish it. <laughs> because I think you, your second novel will be a good novel. So just come to sign the contract. I couldn't believe my eyes. And then I went there, I signed, and he gave me uh, at that time 50 liras, uh, um, uh, which was the necessary amount of money to buy a shoe from a very, from an excellent store, which I've never dreamt that I'll buy a shoe from there. So I took the money and I bought a shoe. (laughs) So this is how I became a writer. (laughs) I wondered how you saw your writing as contributing or in what way it was part of the struggle um, of people in Palestine. You know, it's up, up to, it's up to, to the people of Palestine to decide. Uh, it's not me. Uh, the only thing I, I, I uh, the only thing is, is it, two stories which happened with me. One, it was in a refugee camp, and we were having a reading and a debate uh, uh, after the publication of uh, *The Gate of the Sun*. And then there was this man who jumped and began shouting that I uh, misused the story of his uncle. And I told him, who's your uncle? I've never met your uncle. What's the name of your uncle? He told me a name. I said, I don't know the man. And he began telling a story which is not in the book. And I told him, but your story is not in my book. And he said, no, no, no. I told him, go and search the book. There is no story like that. But I'm very happy. If this book can be opened to, to all the stories that they are not in it, 
then I think this is a contribution. <laughs> this is one kind of a contribution. The other story happened in Paris. I was uh, in the uh, Ecole des Hautes Etudes, and uh, we were discussing uh, the Gate of the Sun, and uh, there were students and professors, of course, and there was that woman who was at uh, the end of the... And I don't know wh why she came. And then in the end, she raised her hand and she asked me, she, she said, I have a question. Uh, I want to know more about Nahila. Nahila is the major character in the novel. I said, well, what do you mean by more? She said, I'm sure you, you know this woman, so tell us more. Because she's a lovely woman. I told her, look, madame, if I've met this woman, I would have married her instead of writing a book. <laughs> and, you know, and they laughed, and uh, she was very angry. Then when the uh, uh, session finished, and you were having a drink, she came to me and she said to me, look, now there are no professors, no students. I know you, you want to pretend that you invented that woman. Now tell me the truth. And I told her, wallahi, the truth is I've never met that woman. So she was more angry and she looked at me and she said, you are lying. And she went. So I followed her to tell her, madam, you made the best compliment any writer can have. You believed his characters. And, and you disbelieved him. So I think if this is a contribution, then... But, of course, we cannot liberate Palestine by books. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, readers after generations will liberate Palestine if they read uh, good books. I think so, but uh, books do not liberate anything. Books are... Uh, change books. Hi there. Thank you very much for coming to speak to us. Um, you mentioned that the Nakba was a process and not simply a historical event. And I wonder, to the extent that you think it's ongoing, do you agree that it's in just simply an inevitable consequence of the ongoing attempt to divide Palestine into two ethnic states? And therefore, to that extent, we are all responsible. I didn't get what. What do you mean by two ethnic states? Well, the idea that you'll have a Jewish state and an Arab state, which was the original like, partition idea, and, and we've got an ongoing idea about that in the peace process. In other words, the ongoing Nakba, the idea that people have to move, is an ongoing uh, part of the partition idea. You see, historically, you are right. I mean, the partition plan that everybody say it was refused by the Arabs. And in the, in the historical documents, it's true, the Arabs refused, the, the, all the Arab governments refused the partition plan. But in, uh, practically, the partition plan was implemented. And actually, it was, uh, if you have just to read Avishlaim, uh, who, who worked on, on the relationships between Jordan and, uh, and the, Zionist and the Zionist movement in the eve of the war of 1948, to find out that there was a real compromise between the Zionists and the Jordanian king uh, to make the partition of Palestine. And, uh, and of course, the Israelis took more than uh, what was uh, uh, conceived for them. But uh, this is how things are. This is what the, the rapport de force, the, the, um, uh, the, the power structure, the power equilibrium uh, permitted them. And the partition plan of 1948 was implemented and it was actually ethnic cleansing. And when, when, if you read now the partition plan as it was presented in, to the United Nations in 1947, the partition plan uh, 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 gave uh, the Jewish state 52% of Palestine. And in these 52%, there were something like 600,000 Palestinians who were supposed to leave. 
so it was it was a plan of ethnic cleansing and and we were under the influence of the Pakistani uh, Indian ethnic cleansings which took place partition and everybody thought this is normal at that time uh, uh, but of course the, but the partition happened now now the question was in 1992, 1994, uh, 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 about the Oslo agreements, the, the big question was, I was very critical to Oslo, to the Oslo agreements, just historically speaking. Sorry, take it, and we only need, we, we, will, we will accept the 22% that's left to us, and we will accept to have a mini-state uh, with no arms, and all, all this, <coughs> which everybody knows, related to the Oslo Agreement. But the Palestinian surrender was refused. Nobody sees that. And if your enemy refuses your surrender, it means what? You come and you say, I surrender, ya akhi, khalas. <laughs> he wants to continue the war. Because the issue is mainly to continue the Nakba. And this is what, in the end, the, the, the biggest Israeli new historian, we all praise the new historians, of course, they were very courageous. One of them is a great, uh, uh, many of them are great, are great human beings whom I like. And, 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 and some of them are my personal friends, like Ilan Pape. But the, the one who began the new historian phenomenon is Benny Morris. And Benny Morris, uh, during the Second Intifada, gave an inter interview in Haaretz. And in that interview, he said many terrible things. The first one that we, that is the Israelis or the Jews of Israel, we are defending Rome from the barbarians. Just the idea of a Jew identifying with the Romans, I think it's something very absurd. The second thing, we have to put them in cages, speaking about the Palestinians, which is a typical anti-Semite European discourse against the Jews. And the third, which is the most terrible, was he said that Ben-Gurion committed a huge error. He should have finished the job in 1948, he should have occupied the West Bank and uh, uh, evacuated it from the Palestinians. And, and, and this was the major error of Israel. What now everybody see, says, the, lately, Regis Dobre in his new book, uh, Amunami Israelien, uh, uh, everybody speaks that the, the ethnic cleansing of 1948 was the uh, uh, original sin of Israel. For Benny Morris, the sin was not to finish the ethnic cleansing. So practically, this is why it's a process. Because when, you're any, when, when the Palestinians surrendered, and their surrender was refused, it means only one thing. It means that either they want to kill them, or they want to kick them from the country. There is no other, there is no other logic. And now we are seeing this logic, how it is implemented through settlements, through the wall, through uh, insisting that the borders of Israel is the Jordan Valley through Jerusalem 
through the demolition of houses and things which you know all, and I'm not here to make propaganda or to speak about politics. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.